Welcome to Radio KBPV, Tales of Kootenay Brown Pioneer Village, a podcast about the history of southwestern Alberta, presented by Kootenay Brown Pioneer Village of Pincher Creek, a museum complex that documents the stories of Western Canada's agricultural settlement through the preservation of local buildings and artifacts among a six-acre park. Pincher Creek is a town of 3,700 souls in a vast rural trading area of some 3,000 rural dwellers. A vibrant region of rolling prairie, foothills, the Rocky Mountains, the Pecani First Nation, Waterton Lakes National Park, the Crow's Nest Pass, and the Upper River Watershed of the South Saskatchewan River Basin. Join us in this podcast where we present walking tours of our buildings and hear the stories of the farmers, townsmen, cowboys, mounties, pioneer women, politicians, chroniclers, miners, railroaders, and so many other significant histories of this particular corner of Canada. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Radio KBPV. This is Ranger Gord Tolton. And this is going to be another continuation of our building tours of Kootenay Brown Pioneer Village. And what I've done today with this one, uh, usually every one of these podcasts that we've done in the last uh, few months or so, have concentrated on a single building or a pair of buildings that are somewhere in alliance. But as these uh, four buildings are a briefer tour, I'm adding, well, four buildings um, to this podcast. Uh, all of these building tours are available at kootenaybrown.ca. You just go to the main page and you'll see the buttons and it'll take you to the Pioneer Village map and you can have a tour of any of the almost 30 of the uh, audio tours that are available along with photographs and such. So... Um, without further ado, I'll just uh, run these four tours through you. Thank you, and uh, thank you for listening to Radio KBPV. Now, as we stroll down the path through the village, let's have a trip to the doctor's office. A doctor in the house? Is there a doctor in the house? I'm a doctor. Now, that was something you'd like to avoid in pioneer times. Risk of illness and injury on the frontier was great. Hard work, extreme weather, distant travel and remote locations contributed to physical danger. Although medical practitioners did their best, the facilities were very spartan as you can see from this very small office. Now the pioneer Mountie, A.H. Lynch Donchin, said that people thought twice about getting sick. Now with an absence of professional assistance, Pioneers often trusted some dubious patent medicine remedies that were obtained by mail order or even by traveling salesmen. Many of these formulas were simply just narcotic or alcohol based. One of the more dubious medical instruments that you can observe in the doctor's office is the Davis and Kidder's patent magneto-electric machine, a crank-operated current inducer utilized in the dubious practice of electrotherapy. The manufacturers claimed that the device could relieve pain and cure numerous diseases. Well, the practice obviously has long since been disc discredited as quackery, but it indicates the high hopes that many had for the use of electricity in medicine. Now, the Arlington Hotel livery stable provided a horse buggy and driver for medics who needed to travel into rural areas. 
as house calls extended as far from Waterton Lakes to the south to the Walden Ranch to the north. The ubiquitous doctor's bag contained all necessary emergency instruments, and it was a common accessory taken on house calls in remote town and country locations. Now, the first general practitioner to serve Pincher Creek was Dr. Herbert R. Meade, who arrived in 1892, but his practice was tragically cut short by his death in 1898. Dr. Franklin Goforth relocated to Pincher Creek to begin his practice the same year as, as Dr. Meade, and he also dabbled in ranching. The Ford at Dr. Frank's ranch on the McLeod Pincher Creek Trail was named the Goforth Crossing. Canadian Pacific Railway had its own medics. George H. Mal Malcolmson established a three-year practice in 1898. Samuel Hewitson graduated McGill University in Ontario and arrived in 1889 to homestead at Fishburn. He enlisted in both the South African War and in the Great War and died of appendicitis while in France. Dr. Walter Henry Gearing was Pincher Creek's pioneering dentist. Born in Kent, England, he came to Alberta in 1907 to work as a ranch hand at Fishburn, but left to study dentistry in Chicago in 1910. By 1914, Dr. Gearing was ready to return to Pincher Creek, where he set up a long-time practice in town, retiring in 1960. Dr. Edward S. Connor practiced medicine for four years in Pincher Creek, between 1911 and 1915 at the Memorial Cottage Hospital. He, he had studied in Vienna and at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, and went on to become a surgeon in Lethbridge. Dr. Leland Whitfield Walkie served in Pincher Creek between 1913 and 1932. He was an alumni of Queen's University came, and came west to practice at the tiny town of Lomond in south-central Alberta and later in Pincher Creek and Lethbridge. Developing the community's hospital facilities was a slow process. Medical services were performed in homes or in cramped, unsterile, rented offices. And of course, most children were born by midwife. The settlement made, remained far removed from, from medical care for 25 years after its founding and was dependent on emergency trips to Fort McLeod or Lethbridge. Locals availed upon the generosity of people such as Mrs. Amy Saunders, who provided midwife service in her cabin on Main Street. The South African War brought attention to the problem when three local volunteers, Fred Morden, Robert Kerr, and Ovide Smith, were killed in the conflict. Their loss inspired the spirit to develop the two-story Pincher Creek Memorial Cottage Hospital, a modern facility built below the North Hill in 1902. The biggest malady that the cottage hospital faced was finance. Without subsidization, parent, patients were responsible for costs, but delinquent bills forced the board to fundraise. Fees were literally paid off with cream, milk, canned preserves and eggs. Rural schools staged benefit dances to keep the hospital afloat, but heavy losses faced, forced the closure of the Memorial Cottage Hospital after the First World War. For four years, the only medical care offered in town were the midwives. Temporary convalescence was housed in the bankrupt Waldorf Hotel. Finally, in 1924, the Catholic community of Pincher Creek went to work to solve the problem. 
The nuns of the Daughters of Jesus took up the challenge from town council as merchant Timothy LaBelle donated his mansion to open St. Vincent's Hospital in 1924. With expansions in 1930 and again in 1949 and additional construction throughout the 1950s, this prominent landmark served medical needs for the area until the new hospital opened on the North Hill in 1983. Now the history of this small little office in the 1930s and 1940s, Drs. Brayton and Dr. Rod McCrimmon had their medical practices in Pincher Creek. This working office of Dr. Lorne and Rhonda Collins, built in 1946, is a good example of a pre-Medicare medical facility. And it was donated by the Lund family and moved to the village in the early 1980s. I'm trouble bound and mixed. He's the guy that gets me fixed. Hello, Sandra, give me The Gates House and Stove Shop. Having relocated to Canada to escape oppression in Eastern Europe, the Mennonite people have formed a significant presence in Western Canadian agricultural and settlement history. The Peter and Susanna Geats family, with four, their 14 children, emigrated from Poland in 1927 and settled at a homestead east of Pincher Creek, where this simple, rustic, one-room frame dwelling was constructed. The family was thrifty in spite of such a Spartan beginning and excelled at farming, lumber, and many of the family members and descendants have gone out into the world as educated professionals in the fields of engineering, law, and the clergy. And that brings us to one of the most prominent of the Geats family members, Beverly McLaughlin. Born Beverly Geats as the daughter of Ernest Geats and Eleonora Cruchel, likely spent much of her youth in this house, visiting her grandparents Peter and Susanna. But that modest country upbringing did her a world of good. In 1967, Beverly married Rory McLaughlin, who convinced her to pursue a career in law. Beverly attended the University of Alberta and gained degrees in philosophy and law, and that enabled her to work in several legal firms across Alberta and British Columbia. After a period as a law professor at the University of British Columbia, Beverly became a judge and rose through the courts to become the Chief Justice of British Columbia in 1988. Just one year later, in 1989, Prime Minister Brian Mulroney appointed Beverly McLaughlin to the Supreme Court of Canada. In 2000, she became the 17th Chief Justice of the Supreme Court of Canada, the first woman in that office and the first woman to hold such an office in the British Commonwealth. Though she has now retired, she has become the longest serving ju Chief Justice in the court's history. The Honorable Beverly McLaughlin has attained one of the highest achievements in Canada. As an, as an important constitutional member in Canada's governance framework. The town of Pincher Creek has acknowledged her achievement with the naming of Beverly McLaughlin Drive. As for the Geats House, its modest appearance has made it an excellent place to exhibit the many stoves, lanterns, and foot warmers that Kootenay Brown Pioneer Village 
has acquired over the past nearly 70 years. Stoves from the early 1900s were versatile. Often, they could burn wood or coal, depending on which fuel was available locally. Both resources were accessed in the Pincher Creek area. The common denominator was the work used to obtain burning fuel. Some of the units served as heating devices only while cook stoves doubled in both capacities. Large wood-burning stoves were commonly placed centrally, first to provide even air ventilation for lighting, and secondly, in order that the radiant heat would fill the bulk of the interior, warming the objects in the room first, then warming the air from within. Adjustable door vents for controlling air draw to the fire were also utilized. Manufacturers such as McClary, Franklin, and Gurney Tilden were some of the more common brand names of stoves, along with many other names and styles. The stove industry of the 19th and early 20th centuries was vibrant, uh, with many manufacturers in both Canada and the United States supplying iron stoves to a competitive market. Now to return to the Geats house, Peter Geats's son, Alfred, and his wife, Katharina Tina Geats, came to own the original Geats farm property, where they operated a bed and breakfast in the tourism industry in later years. The house was donated and moved to Kootenay Brown Pioneer Village in 2011, and the dwelling has since has been designated as an exhibit area for this ample collection of heating and lighting devices that were used in the times before rural electrification and natural gas utilities became available to rural people in southwestern Alberta. Now one of the unique items that you will find in the Geats house are foot warmers. They were fueled by coal and were basically a portable heater, providing winter warmth in sleighs for the lower extremities. The radiance was slight, but with the heat held in by heavy blankets or fur robes, these tiny little heaters kept, kept away the frostbite and likely saved a lot of lives, as well as legs and toes. Barn and household lanterns provided after-dark light in most frontier houses and outbuildings, fueled by kerosene, which is also known as coal oil. Ornate lanterns and hanging hurricane-style lanterns hung from the roof and were utilized for stationary in-house lighting, with tin or copper reflectors directing the light to where it was needed. Other lanterns were portable, with a swinging handle for utilizing for work in barns or for reading. Many a letter and homework assignments were performed by the glow of the coal oil lanterns, and many a cow was milked by lamplight. Kerosene was also a common heating fuel, utilized for temporary space heating. The drawback to kerosene heaters was the dangers of its own noxious exhaust. Now we come to the Sear family farmhouse. The Sear home represents an intriguing part of local French-Canadian history. Paul Joseph Sear was the fourth of 12 children born to Joseph and Eleanor Sear, who resided in Saint-Basile, New Brunswick, in a region of Atlantic Canada also known as Acadia or Acadia. The Sear family has resided in Canada for eight generations and over three and a half centuries, 
having originally emigrated from Touraine, France in 1668. The family of Paul's wife, Alice Marie Daigle, were also of French origins, having settled in Acadia in 1686. The Daigles eventually settled in Maine, where Alice was one of nine siblings. This two-story frame structure was built by Paul Joseph Sear, who purchased his family farm at the Southeast Quarter, Section 20, Township 6, Range 29 west of the 4th, just three and a half miles east of Pincher Creek in 1903. In 1901, an earlier homestead claim was filed by Sear in the vicinity of Wood Mountain, which was then known as Corner Mountain, a place the family knew as the Hills. That property served the family well as a horse pasture and is still part of the family's cattle range. The Sear home was finished in 1916. Paul had worked periodically for several winters in the sawmills of the Flathead River area of Montana. There he bought the timber and shipped home lumber for the construction of the original house. Paul Joseph Sear and Alice Marie Daigle were married in 1917 and raised three children in the house. French was spoken at home. The main floor provided a spacious entrance, parlor. The main floor provided a spacious entrance, parlor, dining room, and kitchen. The family was very proud of the dwelling's modern look, and a barn which housed well-trained teams of workhorses was built in 1918. Unfortunately, the barn was struck by lightning and burnt to the ground in 1921. Inside the house, a wooden staircase accessed the upstairs where four bedrooms were framed in but the walls were never completed. Heavy rugs and blankets divided the rooms and provided privacy. When Paul's son Albert and his wife Irene took over the homestead in 1945, they and their eight children slept upstairs in the unfinished framed area. During cold winter months, family members would sleep on the main floor where radiant chimney heat kept the sleeping area warmer. The stairway landing was also ideally used to display the annual Christmas tree. Now on the one of the walls upstairs you can see uh, unpainted where young Francis Sear drew his initials on the wall. He got over his childhood discretion though and finally took over the Sear farm and Colleen and Francis Sear farm there today and also operate the Blooming Inn. Evidence of Francis's indiscretion was left unpainted in restoring the, the upstairs exhibit area. The house was actively lived in by the Sear family until the 1960s. In 2011, Francis and Colleen Sear, who are a very large presence on the board and in the operations of the Kootenay Brown Pioneer Village, donated this family home where it sits in repose today. And now we come to the bakery. In the early 1900s, Pincher Creek's business district was maturing as new businesses were launched and at least three local bakeries dotted the streets, all operated by families as vendors. This display represents the McLeod Brothers Bakery and Confectionery, which was operated by the brothers Andrew C. and Norman McLeod. 
were attracted to Pincher Creek as relatives of the hardware merchant and contractor Thomas Hinton. The McLeod Brothers Bakery opened in 1906 in the Scott Block. Locals frequented McLeod Brothers for baking supplies, homemade breads and desserts, fancy biscuits and carbonated soda drinks. Well-stocked shelves and enclosed cabinets were featured in this long, narrow commercial outlet sporting a hardwood floor. That was a common store feature of the time. The McLeod Brothers partnership lasted four years until Norman bought the Opera House on Christie Avenue as Andrew carried on in the bakery. Both brothers were instrumental in staging live theatre in Pincher Creek. The bakery itself was sold around 1911 to James Milne of Coleman, whose bread and pastries were initially sold through the Fournier and Thibault confectionery. Milne moved to a location beside his home, but both the business and the family house were destroyed by fire when the bakery ovens overheated. Undaunted, James Milne relocated to the former Schofield and Hyde store that had recently been vacated by the Hudson's Bay Company. In 1924, Milne again moved to the former Hinton store, assisted by son John. James Milne retired to Vancouver in the late 1920s, selling his business to the Craig family. The Pincher Creek Bakery was established in February 1930 by George Nesson, whose trade flourished on Main Street in spite of the Great Depression. After George's death in 1933, brother Marvin Nason took over the bakery, where the aroma of fresh breads and pies drifting out from the kitchen tempted many a passerby. This original Main Street building spent several decades as a greenery on the North Hill, but it was returned to Kootenay Brown Pioneer Village and in 2016 was remodeled to recreate the Pioneer Era Merchant Bakery Store. Thank you for listening to Tales of Kootenay Brown Pioneer Village. This episode was researched and written by historians Farley Wood and Gord Tolton. This podcast is recorded and engineered by Gord Tolton. Episodes can be found at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Podbean, or any other podcatcher. Visit our website at www.kootenaybrown.ca. Kootenay is spelled K-O-O-T-E-N-A-I. Also, visit and join our pages on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for more information on our museum, or even better, visit us at 1037 Beverly McLaughlin Drive in beautiful Pincher Creek, Alberta.